It is an honor. It is a privilege to be here this morning. It has been so much fun to meet you all this morning. But above all else, it is an honor and privilege to open God's word with you and to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, this morning. Over the next two weeks, it is my plan to preach through two passages in the book of Philippians. And we will begin this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, the book of Philippians, which is also known as the Epistle of Joy, and it is called that because Paul mentions the word joy some 16 times throughout the four chapters in this book. The word joy, it is defined by Webster as an emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune, or simply a state of happiness. And yet it is amazing how quickly our joy, how quickly our happiness can fade if God is not the source. In preparing for this sermon, I had heard a joke about a prisoner who was digging a tunnel out of prison. And he was slowly making progress day by day. But with just a spoon for a shovel, it seemed like an impossible task. But after numerous years of blood and sweat, he finally managed to reach the surface outside the prison grounds. And he was overwhelmed with joy and with happiness at the thought of finally being free, so much so he could no longer hold back his excitement and exclaimed at the top of his lungs, I'm free! I'm free! I'm free! Just then, a little boy passed by and looked up at him with an unimpressed look on his face and said, you're free, huh? Big whoop, I just turned four. (laughs) Again, it is amazing how quickly our joy and happiness can fade if God is not the source. G.K. Chesterton wrote that the atheist sees beauty, but has no one to thank, thus no one to be happy in. And this statement really is the antithesis of what Paul and really Christians as a whole should sense or experience in our Christian life. In verses 1 and 2 this morning, we see that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I would be remiss not to give you some context of what's going on before we begin this morning. And it is really what is so remarkable about this book. Not only the content that we read, but the circumstances in which Paul is in when he writes this content. In short, Paul is in jail. He is most likely on house arrest in Rome. And you might be wondering why. Well, a couple years earlier, there was a group of Jews who hated Paul, they hated the gospel, and they hated Christ, and they stirred up a crowd telling them falsely that Paul had violated temple law by bringing Gentiles into the temple. Thus, they attacked Paul and they tried to kill him. And amidst the chaos that was taking place, Roman soldiers and Roman leaders show up, they take Paul away, and they throw him in jail for two years. And then eventually he sails to Rome and is placed on house arrest there. And again, you might be wondering, well, where do the saints 
who are at Philippi come in at? Well, about 10 years before that took place, in Acts 16, Paul has a vision from a man from Macedonia who says, come over to Macedonia, which is modern-day northern Greece. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul concludes that he is to go to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And he preaches the gospel there in a city called Philippi. And the Lord opens ears to hear. People are saved and baptized, and a church begins. And this church, when they hear that the founder, the starter of their church, is now in prison, they send Paul a gift. And Paul is now writing this church a letter, in part to communicate with them, to let them know that he's okay, to thank them for the gift, and then to encourage them to mature in their faith no matter the suffering that they may endure. And our text this morning, what we will see from it, are four different causes, or four different elements, if you will, that bring about Christian joy as Paul gives thanks and praise for this church in Philippi. But the thread that connects all four of these causes, the thread that connects all of these elements, is our thesis statement this morning. It is the theme of our message this morning, which that a Christian's joy, true joy, is rooted in their union with Christ and in their communion with his body, the church. That Christian joy, true joy, it is rooted in their union with Christ and in their communion with his body, the church. Again, our text this morning, which was read earlier, is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And if you were able, would you please mind stand reading again for the reading of God's word. Again, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Please be seated. And let's briefly pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, I thank you for your grace this morning. We thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we thank you for the gift of this dear fellowship, this church. Father, I pray for strength and clarity this morning. Help my lisping, stammering tongue. I pray I be faithful to your word this morning. Let me honor and glorify you with my speech. Father, I pray for the dear ones here this morning as well. Give them eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is receptive to your word. Father, I pray that they grow in their union, in their maturity, in you. And Father, that as a church body, we find endless joy in loving and serving each other as the body of Christ. Do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We will start this morning in verses 3 through 5, which is cause number one of Christian joy. It is our union in Christ. Verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How perfectly does this text display, how perfectly does this text showcase the love, the care, and the pride a pastor should have for his flock. Paul's saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine, every time I pray for you, every time I remember this church, every time I think back about this church in Philippi, there is absolutely no sense of pain, no sense of anxiety or distrust. But when I pray and I remember this church in Philippi, it causes joy, it causes cheerfulness and delight in Paul's soul. Why? Verse 5, it says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of this church's, this congregation's genuine partnership in the gospel with Paul. There was union together in the gospel. There was fellowship. There was common interest together amongst the body in the gospel. They were able to love each other supernaturally because they were loved by God in the gospel. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he, God, loved us first. As Christians saved by grace who are now one in Christ, we cannot help then but love each other and care for each other as members of the body of Christ. Consider for a second Lydia. Lydia was the first Christian convert in Philippi. And in Acts 16, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she was baptized in her household as well. And she urged Paul saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She has faith. In Jesus Christ, she's baptized and instantly welcomes Paul into her house to stay and to be cared for as Christians. Our innate, our natural response as Christians is to care for one another. And this is not just an outlier with Lydia. This is the natural Christian response. Consider another convert in Philippi, the Philippian jailer. 
Paul and Silas, they are in jail. They share the gospel with him. And in Acts 16, it says that he took them that same hour of the night. He washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He and his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. Again, he had faith. He was saved, he was baptized, and then love and affection for his new brothers and sisters in Christ just come pouring out of him. If we want application from the text this morning, here it is in verses 3 through 5. How are we as a church at loving and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Let Let me lovingly ask you some questions this morning. When was the last time you had a family from Faith Bible Fellowship over for lunch for a time of fellowship? When was the last time you gave someone from this church a ride who was in need, who was unable to drive? When was the last time we brought a meal to someone that was in need? Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Church, we are partners in the gospel. Thus, let us genuinely love the gospel and then profoundly love each other. And there is joy, I promise you, in loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is much joy in that. Takes us again now to our second cause of Christian joy from the text this morning. In verse 6, that God always, always, always completes the work that he begins in his children. Verse 6, it says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What encouragement there is in this verse for the Christian. Paul says, I am sure of this. I am convinced, I am confident beyond a shadow of a doubt based on the character of God, the work of Jesus Christ, and the gospel message itself that if God gives us the grace we need to to see him in eternal glory, then he will give us the grace we need to grow in him day and day and day. God does not, if God plants the seed of saving grace into our heart, He does not then grow tired of tending to that work. If God plants the seed of saving grace into our heart, he does not grow frustrated taking care of that work. He does not walk away from that work. He does not stop that work. If God begins the work of saving grace in your heart, he guarantees that he will preserve that work in Christ until you reach salvation. God does not lose any of his children. There is a scene in John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, where the main character, who is named Christian, is introduced to a man named Interpreter. 
and its interpreter's job to teach Christian the things that he will need to know to be faithful in the Christian life. So two characters, Christian and interpreter, and interpreters teaching Christian what he needs to know about the Christian life. So Christian shares a dream that he had where there was a burning fire against a wall and a man standing beside it who was dumping water on the fire to extinguish it. But the fire only burned higher and hotter when he did that. So Christian asked, what does this mean? An interpreter answered, this fire is the work of grace that has formed in your heart. And he that dumps water on it to extinguish it is the devil. But since you have seen the fire burn higher and hotter, you shall now see the reason for that. So interpreter takes Christian back behind the wall where he sees another man with a vessel of oil in his hand who continually throws oil into the fire. So Christian asks, well, what does this mean? And interpreter answers, that is Jesus Christ, who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in your heart, no matter what the devil does. Church, God has a perfect plan of salvation for his people. God has a perfect order of salvation for each one of his children. Romans 8, 29 through 31. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God will not lose any of his children. Jesus Christ said in John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and I will never cast any of them out. And how do we know this to be true? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God will persevere in the work of salvation for his children until it is completed at the day of Jesus Christ. Rejoice this morning, brother Christian. Rejoice this morning, sister Christian. There There is joy in God's plan of salvation for his children. Which leads us to our third point this morning. Cause number three of Christian joy. Being able to receive love from our brothers and sisters in Christ in our time of need. Verses 7 and 8, Paul writes that it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, it is easy to support someone 
when times are good. It is easy to cheer for our favorite football team when they are winning. It is easy to support a co-worker when they are excelling. But what happens when times get tough? When our teams start losing, when our co-workers stop excelling, or in Paul's case, when you get chucked into prison? What happens when our brothers and sisters in Christ start to become persecuted for the sake of the gospel? When our friends are picked on on social media? When our children are bullied at school? When church members become ridiculed at work? Do we fall back? This isn't our battle. This could bring shame onto me. This could bring embarrassment onto me. Do we avoid those sticky situations? Is this what the church in Philippi did when Paul was thrown into prison? No. No, no, no. They kicked up their support for him tenfold. Just as a parent would care for their child who is in trouble, no matter the shame it would cause them in the eyes of the secular world. Verse 7 says that it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Why did Paul feel this love and this joy for this church in Philippi? As John Gill says, it was because Paul and the church, they were all partakers in the electing, redeeming, adopting, regenerating, parting, saving grace of God. And this grace created an unbreakable bond, an unbreakable union in Christ. Thus, because of their union, these people were one with Paul in prison. They were one with him in his defense and in his confirmation of the gospel. They were one with him even in his affliction. It is the mark of the true Christian. Romans 12, we not only rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also weep with those who weep. Dr. Thomas Constable said that they were not only with Paul in spirit in prison, but they were also willing to associate, to minister to, to visit, and to send gifts to him while he was in prison. This is the Christian community displayed in Acts 2, a group of believers devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread together and the prayers. Church, there's not only joy in loving each other, but there is much joy in being able to receive joy from our brothers and sisters in Christ in our time of need. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. What joy there is when we are faint-hearted to receive encouragement from our brother or sister in Christ. When we are weak to receive help from our brother and sister in Christ. Church, there is much joy in that this morning. Which will lead us now into our Fourth and final cause of Christian joy from the text. That it is pleasing our master and creator 
with the actions of our life. There is much joy in pleasing our master and our creator with our works, with our actions, and with the fruit of our life. Verses 9 through 11. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. In short, it is Paul's desire, it is his prayer for these dear Christians in Philippi, for them to continue to grow and to mature in their love. And this is done by knowing God more and by discerning via His Word what is excellent so that they can run the Christian race well until Jesus Christ returns. The late M.R. Dahan noted in one of his sermons that a sheep and a pig, they react differently when they fall into a mud hole. When a sheep falls into a mud hole, they are not happy there. In fact, they struggle and cry out until they get out. But yet, on the other hand, a pig goes around looking for mud holes. And when he finds one, he will slide into the mud with a grunt of satisfaction, squealing only when an attempt is made to pull him out. By nature... Without the convicting work of God's Spirit, a sinner is like a pig. He seeks evil and temptation and has no desire to be delivered from sin. But the follower of Christ, who is compared to the sheep throughout the Scriptures, although it is a sad fact that all of Christ's sheep do fall into sin, no born-again Christian will ever be comfortable in such a place. Paul's charge is for Christians to grow in your knowledge of God so you can better discern His will, so you can avoid the stumbles and the traps and the pitfalls of this world and run toward Christ deliberately, boldly, humbly, not squealing like pigs in the depths of our sin, but that we be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God with our growth in love and knowledge and discernment, that we be like giant trees weighted down by the load of a large crop, the fruit of righteousness, service that is pleasing to God. And brother Christian, sister Christian, I can assure you there is much joy when the works, the actions, and the fruit of our lives bring glory and praise to our Creator. As we begin to close this morning, I will begin by addressing the unbeliever who is here first. To the non-Christian that is here, you have heard me talk about the joy that a Christian can possess due to their union with Christ 
and their communion and their fellowship with other believers. But the only reason this joy is possible, it is by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How, you might be wondering, is because based on our own merit, based on our own worthiness, based on our own holiness and our works, we fall short of the glory of God. We deserved to be condemned to hell forever. But God, in his perfect love and in his perfect mercy, he broke into this world as a man, as Jesus Christ. And the life that we could never live, Jesus Christ lived. He was tempted with sin just like you or I, but he lived a life without sin. And he freely went to the cross. He gave himself up for the sins of his children. The wrath that I deserve for my sins were borne on Jesus Christ. And he was crucified for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead confirming once and for all that he defeated sin and defeated death. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that there is knowledge of your sin and there is a sense of guilt that comes over you this morning. You repent of your sins and you trust in the only one, Jesus Christ, and his perfect life, death, and resurrection, the only one who can forgive you of your sins and reconcile you back to God forever through eternity. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let today be the day, non-Christian, that you experience eternal joy offered only through the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. It will be yours. And now to the Christian that is here this morning. You may have read through the text and listened and affirmed all that is preached or was preached but you still may be sitting there this morning thinking that my sense of joy in Christ feels dull this morning. My sense of joy in Christ is waning. My sense of joy in Christ is not as I would like it to be. But Wes, I was up four times last night with my 18-month-old. I'm tired, and it's hard to be joyful when you're tired. Or Wes... Half of my department was laid off last week. Sales are down. I'm fearful. It is difficult to be joyful in Christ when I'm fearful. Or Wes, I'm retired. I don't feel like I have a purpose anymore. I'm feeling worthless. It is tough for me to feel joyful in Christ when feeling worthless. So how do I, as a Christian, increase my joy in Christ this morning? Pastor Jim Johnson observed that the most miserable Christians he knows are those who live with a foot in both worlds, meaning they hedge their bets. They trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet they are still in search for some type of security, some type of joy from this secular world. 
And that may be you this morning. You may be seeking joy from the stuff you buy, your consumerism. You may be seeking joy from the comforts or your own personal well-being. You may be seeking joy from your personal liberties, your individualism, your ability to try to be self-reliant. Let me warn you, half-hearted Christians, they are not happy Christians. If you want to increase your joy in Christ this morning then we must increase our commitment to him. If we want to enhance our joy this morning, we must enhance our commitment to Christ. And it is my prayer for us this morning that any idol, any worldly game, any worldly vice, any impurity that is stealing our eternal joy, that we as a church body lay them down and that we run with zeal We run with vigor. We run with passion to God's word. Learning and discerning and applying his will for our life above all else. And that we grow in the peace. We grow in joy that can only be found in salvation that is given to us and guaranteed to us by God himself. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. It is the salvation of your souls. Our joy that no matter what, as Christians, we are called to face, no matter what we're called to endure or persevere through, we will receive the end result of our faith. And it is the salvation of our souls. And church, there is eternal joy in that. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each one of the individuals here today. Father, enhance their commitment to you so they can experience joy in the way they commune with you. And Father, in the way that as a church body, Faith Bible Fellowship loves and cares for each other. It is where the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through the supernatural way a church body loves each other. Father, I pray that we continue to grow in this. Spirit, we pray for a strength that only you can give us. Help us, Lord, grow in our love for you and our love for your body, the church. Grow our joy, a joy that only is achievable in you. In Jesus' name, amen.